We've had a great summer. Work has been crazy. I, I literally, the very first day of summer was a Friday, and my daughter looked at me at like 10 a.m., and she was like, I am so bored. And I'm like, it's going to be a long summer. Um, and, and, but work has made everything uh, fly by. I started the summer at football camp. We did three-day practices on turf. Poor children. Um, and that was like one thing I had to check off a box. I spoke at a summer camp this summer. And so I was with the youths again and hadn't done that in a long time. And I realized that I may still feel young here, but I feel a lot older here and here a lot. And it was exhausting. But it was really cool. I got to speak at the summer camp that I went to as a kid growing up. And that was really surreal. Like I kept waiting for it to feel like I was a student there and then I was on staff there and then asked to be the speaker there. And I was like, I've just never felt more inadequate to speak anywhere in my life. And not that I ever feel good enough to speak like to you all, but especially there, I was like, it never really hit me what, what I was doing was actually happening. So that was surreal. I checked that uh, off. And then um, it's birthday season right now in my house. I feel like summer birthdays when you have children, I just spend all my free time going to Target and buying gifts for uh, kids and going to parties and wondering like, what do I do? Um, but it is birthday season. Like my daughter just turned six two weeks ago. My son turns two in two weeks. Um, my tw I have twin nieces. They turn seven on the second. And then on the same day, my son turns two. My other niece was born 12 hours before him in the same hospital right across the hall. Hey, guys, what's up? Just having a baby. Us too. Um, they're twin cousins, so we celebrate that. It's also my sister's birthday, but no one remembers her um, anymore. So <laughs> we're in like all-out birthday mode all the time. It's cranking up. And we asked my daughter, I was like, what do you want for your birthday? And it's fun to do that. But when she was born, we were like, we were poor. We were like Poe. We couldn't afford the letter R. Um, that's how poor we were. Like... We, we bought her one thing, my wife and I, we bought her a blanket and it was like $20. And I was like, where's it gonna send our bank account in the red? But we cherished that brand blanket. She never cared for it, not even once. Um, but we were always like, um, even now I'm like, Roz, don't you like this blanket? She's like, it's fine. And I'm like, mm, that hurts. Um, <clears throat> but so we asked, so I love being able to ask her like, what do you want for your birthday? What can I get for you? And she's like, and my sweet little girl, for however sweet she is, my son is the opposite. Don't worry. It's not like I'm a great parent. But um, she's like, Dad, I don't know, whatever you would like. And I'm like, you're the best. But I keep out, what do you want? What do you want? And she gives me a toy this, toy that. And about seven, eight months ago, she started saying, you know, Dad, I've never been to the beach. And I was like, I know. You have red hair, like your mother and brother. You will never go to the beach. Um, <laughs> We're the, we're the family at the pool that everyone's like, there they are, I'll put the sunglasses on. Like, it's so bright. Um, but she kept bringing that up. She never really asked to go, but she was like, wouldn't it be cool to go to the beach? And I was like, I love to go to the beach. I'm, I'm Cherokee, baby. We tan up. Um, like, like <clears throat> Indian nation, right? Um, but she's like, I'd love to go to the beach. I'd really like to see the beach someday. Just see it. And so like, she was like, can you pull up a YouTube video of the beach? And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> And it was summer, and we had no family vacation plan. And my mom just retired. Like, maybe we can group all this together, and we'll do, like, a weekend trip. So we found, like, really, really cheap flights. And flying for me is a big deal. I have huge travel anxiety. Don't like it. Any, even just talking about it right now makes me feel kind of miserable. But we found tickets, and so we flew to Destin. And we went to Destin. We left on a Sunday morning, came home Wednesday morning. Quick trip. Redheads. We can't spend much time at the beach anyway. So... We get there, and she's seeing the beach, and she's loving it. She's boogie boarding because she weighs like eight pounds, and she flies across the water. Like, it's, it's, she's loving it. Um, 
And I said, and so we're getting ready to go back to the airport. And I was like, did you have a great trip? And she goes, yes, dad, I'm really going to miss that swimming pool. And I was like, you mean the pool we swam in for 20 minutes? She was like, yeah, it was awesome. I was like, well, we have those in Oklahoma. I just flew you to the beach. And then she was like, mommy did. I was like, well, that's true. <sighs> but we had a really good time. Sand was everywhere. It was chaos. And, and one of the things I loved about it is that she went big. Like one year, she asked for something big. And it was so fun to be able to take her and to do that. And so that's how we spent our summer checking boxes off. And now we've got all that done. And uh, here we are at the end of summer. And, and I said, baby, did, did you have a great summer? And she goes, yeah, I, I loved going to the beach. But my favorite birthday present was just spending time with my family. That's the best. And then she paused and goes, other than God. And I was like, thanks, Leslie. You know, right on. Way to go. Way to teach my child the important things. It was a good time. So we've been busy. She went big. It was a great, great summer. Hope you all have had a good time, too. We are almost done with our series on Jesus. I don't know how many weeks we have left. A few? Several? A lot? We're going to talk about Jesus at least one or two more times at this church. That I know. But we've been in it for about 10 weeks. And we've talked about everything that you can imagine. And I said this last week, but I want to encourage you again, because I did it again this week. If you've missed, I want you to hop on our website, hop on iTunes, listen to the podcast. There is really some incredible threads that have gone through this series. And I really want to encourage you to, I mean, there's nothing like being affirmed about the person and the mission of Jesus. Like, there's something about just hearing and exploring his life that is so affirming and life-giving. And I want to encourage you to do that. We've covered so much, what his mission was, what he came to do, what he did after he came back, uh, what's his plan and purpose. We talked about all different types of Jesus, the loving Jesus, the happy Jesus, the angry Jesus, the, the encounters of Jesus, but Lazarus. Now it's been an incredible series. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have, and I hope it's given you as much life as it has today. And so this morning, we're going to continue that conversation. We're going to look at another encounter of Jesus. And this is going to take place in the book of Luke. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip it open to Luke chapter 18. If you have a phone, you can use that too. It'll also be up on the screen because it's 2018 and we do things like that now. So we ready to go? Are you with me? You excited? I am too. It's going to be quick. The U.S. Open's happening right now, and Tiger just birdied, and I'm on edge. So let's pray, and we'll get after it, okay? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. I pray that your word speaks loudly today, that you remove Caleb from the situation, and you would speak loudly in and through me, that your word would do what it does, that it would teach, rebuke, correct, train us, God, all of these things, that we would walk out of this room a little bit differently than the way we walked in. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 18, we're going to be hanging out in verse 35. We've been looking at several encounters with Jesus and how that affected them and what it does to us today. Luke 18, 35, let's dive right in. Actually, I want to look at verse 34 because I want to. There's a verse here that uh, speaks to me so much. Jesus is predicting how he's going to die. And then it says, verse 34, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. And they did not know what he was talking about. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I love this verse so much because I say this thing a lot up here that I'm going to get to heaven and find out everything I'm wrong about, and I can't wait for that. Like, one of the reasons that I'm a follower of Jesus is because of a verse like this. In fact, that there are things that are hidden from me that my brain and my human nature and my sin nature cannot fully comprehend about the goodness of God. And that is exciting to me. That's why I think I can't wait to get to heaven and learn forever. I'm not under this assumption. I'm going to get to heaven and be like, look, God, I'm just like you. No, 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 no. I still don't know what Luke 18 means. I've been looking at it all week. 
And there are things that are too good and too holy for my sin nature to comprehend. And isn't that amazing? That we can endlessly pursue the goodness of God and endlessly pursue who he is and what his nature is like. And we'll never fully comprehend it because he's just too faithful. He's just too good for me to comprehend. There's something about having that posture when we open these texts and say, I'm gonna try to gather everything I can from God. That's an amazing thing to experience. To know that there are things that are hidden from us that we just can't comprehend, right? Verse 35, let's actually talk about what we're gonna talk about today because I've been up here a while. So, as Jesus approached Jericho, verse 35, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging. So there was a common road from Galilee to Jerusalem. And the most, this is where Jesus is going, from Galilee to Jerusalem. The most common route that would take you through would take you through the city of Jericho. And this is the route that Jesus is walking. Now, it's important to note that this is the final walk of Jesus. So at some point, Jesus woke up and left Galilee and went to Jerusalem. And what was he going to Jerusalem to do? To die. This is what he was doing. Now, as I was going this week, I just went on one of my tangents. Believe it or not, I do that at home. And I got a notebook out. I just started writing and I started to study Jesus's final walk from Galilee to Jerusalem. And the things that he does on this final walk encompasses the entire mission of Jesus. Like think of the most famous things that Jesus did. And a lot of them happened on his final march. It's almost like he's telling us to like finish the race well. To every, the way you put your right foot in front of your left foot matters. Always be about advancing the kingdom. Think about the encounters he had. Jesus meets 10 lepers as he's walking from Galilee to Jerusalem to die. Jesus encounters a blind man from Galilee on his way to Jerusalem to pay the price for their sins. He tells the parable of a persistent woman, the tax collector. He engages with the rich young ruler on his trip from Galilee to Jerusalem on his way to die. He meets Zacchaeus, the tax collector, on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem to lay his life down. He never stops being about the mission of his father, ever. Isn't this a lesson for how you and I conduct ourselves throughout the week? From Sunday to Sunday, what are we about? We should never be about abandoning the mission of the Father. There should never be anything that gets in our way. Nothing is too big. There's not a situation that you're dealing with that is too, that's gotta take the focus of what's going on. You know what Jesus was dealing with? He was going to pay the price for Caleb Kinney's sins. I was on his mind on that walk. And yet the lepers met him and he met them. The blind man, I'm gonna meet you too. Zacchaeus, I see you. Let me tell you a story. Rich young ruler, let me tell you the key to life. He was always about his father's work. It's an incredible thing to think about the way Jesus went with such purpose. In Mark chapter 10, it actually gives us this man's name. If you want a little context, the blind beggar, his name is Bartimaeus. And so we're gonna call him by his name. Bartimaeus was sitting in the road and he was begging. Verse 36, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So you can imagine, here's this blind man laying outside the city on the road, and he hears this huge crowd walking by, okay? So this is like, Jesus was like the local celebrity, right? He had a big following at this point. He had done some crazy things. He had like walked on water. He had turned water into wine, which everyone at the party loved. Um, he fed a bunch of people with only a couple pieces of bread and fish. People knew, like, Jesus of Nazareth's going by, there's a huge crowd around him. This is like the beginning, the paparazzi of 33 AD in the Middle East, I don't know, whatever. But this is what's happening. There's this huge crowd going by and he couldn't see Jesus. And instead of giving up because he couldn't see what was going on, he used what he did know and that's what he could hear. I believe that often we let what we are unsure of stop us from using what we are sure of. 
we so often let the things that we don't know keep us from using what we do know. What do I mean? I don't want to talk to anybody about God because what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? So it's safer. It will actually, we actually convince ourselves of this and I'm the guilty. It's actually good, more beneficial if I don't engage them with any questions about their faith and who God is. Because what if they ask me a question I don't know about? We let the fact that we'll never capture everything who God is actually stop us from engaging with the world around us. I don't want to talk to them about God because I don't know all the answers to God. What if they ask me a question? I don't know. I don't want to discuss the Bible with them because what if there's a verse in there that I don't fully, maybe I think is wrong. I don't want to talk to them about the Bible because they don't believe some of the verses in there are right or relevant. And you know what I find out? I find that people who have the biggest issues with this book are often the people who spend the least amount of time in it. That's what I find. The ones who have the most questions, the ones who read a verse and are like, well, I don't think this matters. This isn't right. And I'm sitting there going, did you read the verse around it? Or the context above it? The chapter before or after? Do you know who it's even talking to? Who it's addressing? You see, we think because we haven't read and studied this entire book, we can't engage with it and with the culture around us. We can't talk to our neighbors or our friends or our teachers or our uh, coworkers. We can't talk to them about their faith, the Bible, because we don't have all the answers. So we let what we don't know stop us from what we do know. And so we begin to question who God is and what he's doing. And isn't that the craziest thing of all? That God himself gave us a brain that only functions by the us breathing in oxygen, that he somehow perfectly created with a perfect mixture that allows us to breathe and have life. And we use that oxygen to make our brains work and convince us that God maybe got some things wrong. We convince ourselves that God in this scripture, we can't engage people about the Bible because we don't think all the verses are right because we have got it figured out. We've done our homework. We've read a lot of articles. We follow a lot of informed people on Twitter, which tells us that maybe God got some things wrong and this isn't actually relevant for today, rather than thinking it may be us that don't have a proper understanding of how God views humanity. We let because we don't think we have every single answer that we could possibly need keep us from engaging with the people around us. Rather than using what you do know, what are you sure of in here if you've experienced God in any way? I know this, that God's word is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So I ought to use it desperately. That's what I know. So rather than thinking I can't talk to anyone about it because I don't have all the answers, well, I know it's God-breathed and it's useful for all those things. So I'm gonna step into my culture and I'm gonna do something with it. Well, I can't have conversations about God because I don't know everything about God. But here's what I know. If you're following, you said yes to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit lives and dwells among you. And the fruit of that spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You should use all those things to engage with the world around you. That's what you have living inside of you, the fruit of the spirit working in and through you. What are you doing with it? I know you don't have all the answers. You never will. Verse 34 tells you that but we can't let that be our excuse. We gotta use what we have. You know what we have? Just like Bartimaeus, we got ears to hear from the Father. That's what we have. You have direct access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, I wanna talk to you, but you gotta have ears to hear. We can't let what we don't know keep us from relying on what we have. And what we have is fully sufficient for every need that you have. Every single need. We gotta go, I'm talking too long, sorry. Verse 38, verse 38. 
37 says, they told him it was Jesus of Nazareth. So the Bartimaeus called out. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He was desperate to get to Jesus. He asked, hey, what's going on? I hear, I hear all this noise. What's going on? What's happening? What's happening? And they said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, that Jesus? I've heard a lot about him. I've heard of the things that he has been doing. And so he says, Jesus, son of David. Like, he wasn't embarrassed that he shouted. He wasn't going to be quiet. He wasn't going to miss his shot to communicate with the Lord of Lords. He was not going to miss his shot. And look at what he says. That son of David line is actually really important. That's why, you know, Matthew begins with a long list of names. Why does it do that? And, and Bartimaeus calling him son of David, he was calling him one thing, Messiah. In that moment, he was recognizing Messiah in the lineage of David. And this person was born to this person and David born to this person. And, this, and they would give birth to a Messiah. His name would be called Jesus, Emmanuel. He says, son of David, have mercy. I mean, he's recognizing he's Messiah. He's calling out. He's calling out. And the Greek word used, to, used here in these two verses is very different. Okay. In verse 37, where it says uh, he called, or verse 38, it says he called out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then he was rebuked, but then he shouted all the more. So the difference here is really incredible. Verse 38, when he called out, it's described as this, an ordinary loud shout to attract attention. It's just, hey, Jesus, son of David. But verse 39, verse 39 is a very different word. When he shouted all the more, that word means the instinctive cry of ungovernable emotion, a scream, an animalistic cry out. He wasn't going to miss this opportunity. It wasn't a routine, casual calling out to Jesus. It was everything within Bartimaeus's soul. This was his one chance to talk to Jesus, the Messiah, and he wasn't going to miss it. It was an animalistic cry out to Jesus, have mercy on me. And notice what his request is. He asks for mercy. He did not think he was owed mercy. He just desired it. And isn't it amazing what you and I think we're owed? Isn't that crazy? Have you ever traveled to another country ever and then come back and be like, isn't it amazing we think we're owed? Like justice and freedom, you are not owed those because you were born in this country. That is false. You don't deserve those because you were born here. That's not true. Justice and freedom are only found in the cross of Jesus Christ and through his forgiveness of your sins. That's it. That's the only place justice and freedom is found. That's why Paul never writes, look for justice, freedom, hope, and joy from Caesar or a king or a ruler. You'll never find it there, ever. You'll never find it by electing the right president. Justice and freedom is not yours because of where you were born. That message doesn't preach anywhere but this country. That's not gospel. Gospel is justice and freedom and mercy is found in the Lord. In fact, scripture says it comes from him. It's new every morning. And thank goodness, because I use up a lot of it. He's offering mercy, even though we don't deserve it. What kind of love is, now you understand what we say, what kind of love is this? Like God's love for you doesn't make sense. It's that good. We don't deserve it. Yet he offers it to us. 
Bartimaeus had a clear understanding of this. And so he asks, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 40, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. What an unbelievable thought. I was just reading this this week. Like the image of Jesus actually stopping to listen to the needs of his children. That's a pretty unbelievable thing. Like God is a really, really busy, not person, that's not the right word, God. I don't know. I didn't think that part through. God's busy, right? When I was in high school, Tim was uh, preaching a message to student ministry and he did a verse and it was one of the verses that stuck, uh, stood with me forever. And he said, the eyes of the Lord are roaming the earth, searching to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And I had this moment, I'm like, what if I made God stop looking? Because in this moment, my heart was fully his. Would he stop for me? And the answer is yes, he would. That whatever needs you have, Listen, the creator of creation is willing to stop what he's doing just to hear you. What are you asking for? What are you asking for? Jesus stops after the crowd following Jesus is telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. Can you, I mean, how many times do you see people following Jesus and still totally not get anything that he's about, right? There's this blind man who needs something asking for mercy and they're like, shh, he doesn't care about you. And I'm like, are you missing all of it? And Jesus stops and he goes to Bartimaeus and he asks him a question, verse 41. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. This is a beautiful, simple question that God asked Bartimaeus and he has not stopped asking us now. The question God is asking our church this morning is, what do you want me to do for you? That's why it's in James 4.2. It says, we don't ask or we don't have because we don't ask. It's not the implication of that verse that if we were to ask, we would have. What are you asking for? Jesus walks in this room and he says, what do you want me to do for you? What are you asking for? Like, what's your request? Jesus knew he was blind. He knew he wanted sight, but that's not the point, is it? You know how we ask things from God? We're like, well, God knows everything. I don't need to take my request for him. Asking him is an expression of trust and reliance on the Father. Hey, I trust that you got me. I trust that you hear me. I'm relying on you. I'm taking my needs to you. I know you know me, but this is a relationship with Jesus. This is what this is. He could have wanted anything. He could have said, Lord, I want money. I want wealth. I, I need a home. He lost all of that by being born blind. And yet he didn't. He went big. He wanted the beach. He went big. Lord, I want to see. Give me sight. He could have asked for anything, but he didn't. He went big, big. Big, verse 42, this is the big stuff. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. This whole story is about faith, church. What's your faith like? This whole story is about faith. It was faith that wanted Jesus. He had heard what Jesus had done. Therefore, he called out with an animalistic, a deep primal cry to get Jesus' attention. Think about the things that you have heard that Jesus has done. And yet we still doubt his ability to care about what's going on in our lives. How's your faith? It was faith that wanted Jesus. It was faith that knew who Jesus was, Messiah. That's who it was. Who is Jesus? What's your faith like? It was faith that knew what he deserved from Jesus. I asked for mercy. I didn't expect it. I know what I deserve. It was faith that could tell Jesus what he wanted. I want to see. And I got faith you care about that. It was faith that could tell Jesus what he wanted. And it was faith that could call Jesus Lord. He says, Lord, I'm going to make you Lord 
of my life. I got faith that your way is better than my way, that your plans are better than my plans, that what you have for me is better than anything that I could dream up. It was faith. The healing was directly connected to that. Verse 43, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. That's the key part. He followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Listen, when God does something in your life, it's not a you story, it's a us story. When God is doing something in your life, you need to tell somebody about it. Because you know what their reaction will be? I'm gonna start looking at my life and see everything that God's doing about me. And it's gonna make me do what? Praise God. His ways are gonna become my ways. That's what this story is about. So church, what are we asking for? What are you asking for? My routine prayer every night with my children is the same. I pray over them. I pray that God would keep them safe. He would keep them healthy. I pray that my daughter would always find her worth, her purpose, and her passion in the Lord. I pray over my son that God would make him a leader of men and that he would be full of faith from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Same prayer over my, both my children every night. And then sometimes I find it ironic that my prayers stop there. Is there anything wrong with that prayer? No, nothing. But sometimes I think, what am I asking for? I sometimes get caught up the fact that um, I have anxiety, right? And it all comes around health and safety and it, it rules big chunks of my life. It stops me from a lot of things that I would like to do. And I find myself praying constantly for safety and health to a God who sent his son Jesus take the form of a man who could stub his toe, catch the common cold, get a paper cut and a splinter, went to the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I'm praying that he would keep me safe and healthy while ignoring the fact that he gave up his safety and his health so that others might come to know him and ask for forgiveness of sins because of what he did and paid the price and all those things. I'm like, what am I asking for? I don't want my prayers to stop at safety and health. Take those to the Lord. Those are good. He cares about them, wants you to pray them. But I don't, how often are our prayers stopping right there? It's like, I'm asking for safety and health while ignoring what he did and why he came. What am I asking for? Like if Jesus were to walk in this room right now, walk through those double doors and say, hey, ask the same question he's actually asking in this story. What do you want me to do? I hope I wouldn't ignore what he did on the cross in that request. I don't think I would ask that, keep me safe and healthy. I hope I would be like, Jesus, open the hearts of my children so they come to know you at an early age. Jesus, keep distractions from their life. Keep bad influences from their life. Help my family that does not put their faith in you, open their hearts, Jesus. For my coworkers that have yet to say yes to you, Jesus, open their hearts wide open, please. Man, I hope that's my answer would be. What am I asking for? See, we, we pray for our job situation changes, right? And that's okay. But we want our job situation to change because we hate somebody we work with. There's a bigger issue here. Pray for a new job. I want you to have a new job. I don't want you to go to a job you hate. That's terrible. I've been there. Pray for a new job. But maybe you should also, your prayer shouldn't stop there. It should also be, God, give me a new job and heal my heart for the feelings I have against this person. And Lord, invade that person's life. Flip their life and eternity upside down. May your ways become their ways. Heal everything about them, Jesus. 
Maybe our prayer shouldn't stop there. You can say, well, Caleb, you don't understand. They're a really bad person. That's why he went to the cross. For the bad people, for the broken people, for the marginalized people. He went for our current president. He died on the cross for him. For the president that left office a couple years ago, he died on the cross for them. For our governor, he died on the cross for Caesar and Bartimaeus. That's why he went to the cross, for you and for me. Maybe our prayer shouldn't stop there. Listen, we don't want to start asking God to give people what they deserve. That can only be bad for you and me. We don't want any part of that. What are we asking God for? Where are our prayers stopping? Jesus is asking, what do you want? Do you want a great marriage? Do you think it's going to happen? Or are you asking God for that? Well, I've been married a long time. Are you praying for it every day? Saying, what do you want from me? I want my marriage to be safe. I want it to be right. I want it to be healthy. I want it to be pure. I want it to be protected. Are you asking for it? Are you expecting it? What are you asking for? You need to ask God, hey, I, want, I need the joy of my salvation restored. I need you to hear my prayer. I need you to protect my children. I need direction. What are you asking for? Guys, I feel like we're asking the routine. We're asking the usual. We're asking the reactionary. It's not coming from the primal, deepest desires of our soul, the thing that matters most. How often are you asking for sight? The biggest thing you have. This church, we pray for four things all the time. We want an evangelistic outpouring. My question is, do you? Do you really want that? Like how primal of a desire is that to you? Like how often do you think about that person in your life that let's go like really old school. If they were to die today, they would be separated from Jesus forever. How much does that tear you up? Is that actually a desire? Is that something that we say at this church? Or is it coming from a Bible? Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on us and rescue those in my life that don't know you because it tears me up. How much of a desire is that for you? We say we want to pray for healing. Are we praying passively for healing or are we praying urgently for healing? I witnessed it in the summer of 1996 in a room about the size of this stage, 80 people praying in that room and my sister would somehow survive the night and it wasn't supposed to happen and it did. I witnessed urgent prayers. You want healing? How urgent are you? I'm witnessing right now, I, have, I know a guy who's a pastor in Tuttle and his son was in a horrible car accident and he should be dead. And everyone said, maybe he's praying out of control. He's asking too much. What if God says no? And you know what Jeremy's response is? If he says no, so what? But I'm never gonna stop praying for my son. God, rescue my son, save my son, save my son. His son put out a message last week on Facebook where he was talking. Shouldn't happen. But he's urgent with his prayers. How much do you want it? We want to have the spirit of God to fall on us like fire. Well, if you're waiting for your next turn in the prayer room to ask for that, then you don't really want it. If you're waiting for Wednesday night, our worship service, to see the spirit of God to fall on us like fire, then I would question whether you really want it. Because our altar is open every week. Pretty empty. Do you want it? What are you asking for? Why aren't we going big? You want personal breakthrough? Then maybe we shouldn't start to pray about personal breakthrough after we failed again. 
after I gossiped again, after I thought this thought again and looked at this again and, and need personal breakthrough after I had this conversation or thought this bad thought. Stop waiting to fail again to want personal breakthrough. Wake up in the morning, roll out of the bed, get your knees on the floor and ask God to say, I'm going to lean not on my own understanding. I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways and trust that you're going to make my paths straight. That's how you have personal breakthrough. It begins that way. We don't start after we fail. A desire for personal breakthrough comes from getting our knees on the ground and asking for the big stuff. What do you want, church? Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? Where is your prayer stopping? What are you asking for? I'm going to invite you just to take a moment, just to close your eyes, bow your heads. And I want us to go big this morning. <laughs> My prayer for you is that you would go big. The Lord says, cast every need and desire onto me, every single one. He wants the small ones. He wants the big ones. I'm not saying anything that we're praying is too little. That's not the story here. I'm calling us to understand that where are our prayers stopping? Because Jesus is looking and saying, what do you want me to do for you? And I want to answer that question with as much knowledge behind the purpose of what he came here to do. I want an evangelistic outpouring because I'm so heartbroken that there are people in my life who their lives ended today, they'd be separated from Jesus. That's not okay with me. And church, goodness, I hope that's not okay with you. I hope that it is not okay that there are people that you know, love and care for that have yet to make Jesus Lord of their life. We need an evangelistic outpouring, don't we? We have people who are suffering that need the healing of God. And it's time that we ask with urgency around that request. We need the spirit of God to fall on us like fire, not just in one room at this building, not twice a month in the summer. We need the spirit of God to fall on us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Every day as we put our right foot in front of our left, we need the spirit to guide us. Go big. And we need personal breakthrough. My prayer is that we would start our day that way. Don't wait till we fail to need to break through. We would roll out of the bed with our knees into the floor. And we would take that request to God. That God is saying, what do you want from me? So church, what are we asking for? This morning, I'm going to give you time. We're going to sing and we're going to reflect a little bit. We're going to pray. My prayer is that you would go big whatever it is you're walking through, whatever need you have in your life, that God is looking at you this morning and he is asking this question, what do you want me to do for you? And I'm gonna challenge you to answer that question. To take your needs before the father who loves you, he sees you, if you a, a, a father that stops what he's doing to listen to the needs of his children. Our altar is going to be open. Our prayer team is going to be here. We would love to pray along side of you. But this morning, my prayer is that we would go big. Lord Jesus, I pray for our church. I thank you for encounters like this story. That you are asking the same question you asked Bartimaeus then. What do you want me to do for you? God, I pray that we would be well aware of what we're asking for. We'd be willing to go big. 
to take you our greatest desires. Full faith that you have the power to do above anything that we could imagine. I give you this time, Lord. May we speak to you openly, freely. And walk out of this room a little bit differently in the way we walked in.